I'm ready for today. I, I really, um, if I'm being honest, and I always am, right? But if I'm being honest today, I started this series just to preach this message. So I was like, I'm gonna do a three-part series. I know what part three is. I just have to figure out part, part one and two. I am so fired up because for me personally, this has been something that has just added so much uh, liberation and freedom to my faith. And so I'm excited to share it with you as we are expectant for what God's gonna do in the fall. And we affectionately call this series Pursuit because we all have pursuits. Yeah. It's not if you're pursuing something, it just is what you're pursuing. We all have pursuits. And the way we've kind of coined it is uh, what we pursue is what we worship. And here's how we've defined worship. Worship is simply our response to what we value most. Good. It is good. Thank you. <laughs> it got quiet in here. So I don't know if you need a coffee or that just really landed. But that's what worship is. And so week one, we talked about how often all of us will exchange God's worship for something so, so trivial and so less than. We, the Bible would call it an idol, which is like, I'm not an idolater, but is something above God in your life? It's kind of the definition. And so we talked about that. I would encourage you to go watch that. Last week, we talked about how Lucifer was the original worship leader in heaven and got a lot of feedback on that message. So make sure to go watch that because now that he has fallen, we are the new worship leader. God has put those instruments in our life with our hands and our vocal cords, and we're to give God praise. But I've been waiting on today. So let me get started in Luke chapter 19. Let me set it up. This is the Sunday before Easter. Of course, they didn't call it Easter then, but this would have been taking place the Sunday before Easter. Uh, we call that now Palm Sunday. And uh, they threw a parade for Jesus. So as he came down the Mount of Olives through the valley and up into Jerusalem, Jesus was super popular, but he was also really hated. He was popular among people, but the religious folk hated him. And so as he's coming into the city, uh, they have palm branches. Why they call it, it's not why we call it Palm City Church, Palm City Church, but that's cool. Uh, but it is why they, they call it Palm Sunday, because some of them would lay the palm branches as he rode that donkey into the city, as he spent the last week of his life here on earth. And some would wave it, whatever they did. Here's where we pick up in Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. Let's look at verse 37. When he came near the place... Where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples begin joyfully to praise God in a loud voice. A loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Why did they praise him in a loud voice? Because he's worthy of great praise. Our God is a miracle worker. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, the religious people, were like, that's too loud. And they looked at Jesus and said, that's not, that's not how we do it, okay? We're the religious people. That's too loud. That's not how we do it. And they kind of looked at Jesus and said, you, you need to fix this. And Jesus' reply is so beautiful. He said, I tell you, they said, rebuke the disciples. He said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep crying, the rocks are going to cry out. In other words... I'm not going to tell them to stop it because I kind of like it. And, and whether they do it or not, something's going to give me praise because there's an opportunity right now for us to give God what he's worth. And that's praise and worship. But if we don't do it, God will find a way to get it. So it's opportunistic, but there's also a little bit of a warning there. Like, no, don't look past me, God. I want to give you what you're worth. And today I want to talk about 
what style of worship and praise does God like? He, he actually outlines it very clearly in one of the books of the Bible. There's 66 books in your Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And one of the books is called Psalms. I love Psalms. If you need a way to read your Bible, just read a Psalm a day. You can read through the Psalms uh, twice in a year. It's a great way to read the Bible. But I think it's interesting that not only is it a book in the Bible, but it really is a book of songs. It's just songs that were written to God. And check this out. It's the largest book in your Bible. I think God's communicating something to us. Not only did he put a book in the Bible about songs and worship and praise, but he made it the largest because he's communicating something to us that I have some expressions that I like. And when you love somebody, you don't love them like you want to be loved. You find out what they like and then you just do that. And so today I want to look at scripture and find out what God likes in our worship. There's nothing wrong with revering God. There's a healthy fear of the Lord. When, but we don't always have to stay right over left like we're a groomsman. Come on, we can, our toe may have the victory, but it needs to take an elevator up and get to our hands and our mouth and our lives and our countenance because there's joy in the house of the Lord. It's interesting how what should look like Sundays look more like Saturdays, look more like the lightning game. At a lightning game, you can go crazy. Any hockey fans in the house? We didn't have hockey in Alabama. I'm just being real. But I've been to a hockey game, and I'm totally a fan. I'm a bandwagon fan, but don't judge me. We're Stanley Cup winners, so back up. I love it. But as soon as I got there, man, I don't even know what we're doing, and I, I lost my voice. I'm like, I just, I mean, they're running. They're, are we winning? I don't know. I'm like, whoa, whoa, yeah. What are we doing now? We're shaking these things. They're great, right? We're doing this clap, and, you know, you, you just get into it. There, they'll call you a fan. But in church, if you act like that, they call you a fanatic. Why are we that way for people who can do nothing for us and then silent for the God who saved us? I'm talking about praise and worship. I'm, I'm talking about giving God something he's worth. And so your Bible, check it out, is translated uh, to English. It wasn't written in English, everybody. The Old Testament is Hebrew, and the New Testament is Greek. And so the English translators did their best, and they did a very accurate job to translate it over so that we could read it. But here's the challenge and that is the Greek language is extremely descriptive. Like it's way more descriptive uh, than the English language. And so sometimes they just didn't have a word to really embody the meaning of the word. So they chose the best word available to them. And then the Hebrew in the Old Testament is super pictorial. And so it's not necessarily amount of the same words for the same word. It's more of it would take a paragraph to really define what that word is meaning. And so when you look at scripture, you got to understand the vastness of the Greek language and how pictorial the Hebrew is. And so today, I want to give you in the book of Psalms the seven meanings of the word praise. Because just because you see the word praise doesn't mean it's the same meaning. And so I think this will help us understand this. Let me give you an example. In the New Testament, the Greek, when you see the word word, it could be one of two words. It's either the word logos, which is the written word, or it's the word rhema, which is the revealed word. So when you're reading the Bible, you need to know which word you're reading. It's one or two. So the same in the Old Testament. I want to give you the seven uh, words for praise in Scripture. Then I'm going to show you an example of each one. And then we're going to conclude the series with some next steps. Does that sound fair? Yes. All right, let's do it. The first one is Hallel. 
Say that. You got to halal. Halal. It means to rave, boast, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Everybody's like, well, I don't know about that. It's actually where we get the word hallelujah. It's halal. And then the yah is the God part. So what it means, when somebody says hallelujah, they're not just being religious. They're saying, celebrate God. He's great. Rave about him. Boast about him. Even in my weakness, because it's in my weakness that he is made strong. And so I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to give him my hallel. Let me show it to you in scripture. Psalm 35, 18. I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will hallel you before all the people. The second one is yada. Not Yoda, that's the green. I was like, oh, Yoda. No, it's not Yoda, that's the green dude, a Mandalorian, okay? Star Wars. Yada, what does Yada mean? It means to acknowledge in public. It's what friends do when they see each other. Can you imagine knowing someone, yet you're afraid to acknowledge that you know them in public? No, what do friends do? Or, or maybe, like, maybe like this, what up, doll? Yo, you look good, man. You know, you, you just kind of dab them up, love on them a little bit. You acknowledge them. Yeah. It, it, it's sim- symbolic of raising my hands. There's a, hey, Mike. Hey, John. What's up, Matt? How you doing, man? There's an acknowledgement of someone you know. Can you imagine coming to a place where God is and not acknowledging that you have a relationship with him? Can you imagine withholding that yada? Well, people are like, what, what's up with the hands raised, man? Is that just, are we just, No. We, we, it's okay to ask why in Scripture. God, God can handle your why. It's, but at some point, we just have to say, if he's God, he's God. And if he wrote it and I read it, I'm just going to obey it. I'm going to choose that what makes him God is he gets to decide what's right and what's wrong and what he likes and what he doesn't like. And then I have the choice to either pump the brakes on that or submit my life to it. It's what makes him God. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Psalm 138. I will yada you, O Lord, with all my heart. Is this okay, everybody? All right, number three, Barack, not Obama, okay? (laughs) Shout out to the president, but that's not what it is. It's Barack. It means this, to bless by kneeling or bowing. So it's a a heart posture that you would, um, the best picture of it is when someone would come into the king's presence, that their posture is just one of presenting themselves, whether, whether they're perfect or not, they're just submitting themselves to those who they're in the presence of, and they're just kind of surrendering with a bowed heart and saying, I belong to you. My allegiance is to you. I, I bow and I kneel my heart to you because you are the one that is worthy of my place. I barack you. Let me show it in scripture. Psalm 103, barack the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, Barak, his holy name. Psalm 103 goes on to say, as we approach God with that heart posture of just honor and reverence and respect and glory, Psalm 103 goes on to say, forget not his benefits. So, so there's, there's a receiving, there's a transference. When you approach God with the right posture, you then receive the benefits he has for you. And trust me, read Psalm 103. You want the benefits. They're good. Can I give you another one? Zamar. Zamar is making music to God with strings. Now, God loves this. Last week we taught Lucifer wasn't just the worship leader. God made him an instrument. Like part of his being, scholars believe, was an instrument. 
And in the same way, now that we have vocal cords, percussion, and breath in our lung, wind instruments, we're now the new worship leader. God just did it on the inside versus the outside, that we get to be that worship leader. But Zamar doesn't mean spa music. <laughs> it actually has the insinuation of like, rip it, baby. Like, don't just, like, pluck it hard. He, he likes it. Why? Because God's cool. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Psalm 92. It is good to Zamar the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High. Let me show it to you in Psalm 150 because it kind of takes that word Zamar to a whole new level. Zamar him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him in the harp and lyre. That's not someone who doesn't tell the truth. That's actually an instrument. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of the cymbals. So notice it's not just a little cymbal like ding. No, it's boom. You know, it's, it's a clash. It says resounding cymbals at the end of that verse. I want to challenge you and challenge me to give the type of praise that God is after. Are you seeing this? And scholars believe that, that heaven's going to sound like a waterfall. The loudest waterfall you've ever heard. Have you ever been up to anything that is falling, water falling off of a rock? Maybe not Niagara Falls, but if you've been, it's, what? You can't talk. It looks like your mom and you're like, you know, that's what heaven's going to sound like. So we're not trying to create some environment that's just modern and uh, cool and cold. No, we're trying to emulate heaven. We're on the job training for our destiny and our eternity in heaven where we spend the vast majority in life. So we might as well be clamorously foolish before the Lord and worship him with all of our heart. Let me give you the next one. Shabbat. You got to kind of like, like you got a popcorn kernel or a Dorito. Like, ah. It's funny. You should listen to these on the lexicon. I, I do the pronunciation. I'm like, all right, Lord, you're going to have to bless me. Shabak, it means to address in a loud tone, to shout. Is there a shout in the house today? The Bible says the Lord leads me on a triumphant procession before my enemies, that he's prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that I can shout not in hopes of having the victory. I can shout because God has promised to never leave me or forsake me, and he's promised to be a God-answering prayer kind of God, and I'm going to give him praise. I'm going to Shabbat the Lord. Here it is in Scripture. Let me show it to you. Psalm 63. Because your love is better than money, because your love is better than sports, fame, beaches, bush gardens. You put whatever yours is right there. Because it's better than everything, my lips will glorify you. I will shabak you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Are you getting anything out of this, guys? I know I'm high energy, but I'm just, I'm, I'm fired up. Oh my gosh, what would it look like? If we just gave God what he's worth and what he desires. And it wouldn't only be good for him. You would go to a newfound freedom in your faith. You would be in a new place of Christian liberty. Stop worrying about what they think. They ain't thinking about you. They're thinking the same thing you are. What happens if I, what happens if I, what? Just somebody take the fall on the sword and do it. Just give God what he's worth. Here's the next one. Toda, toda. It says to lift hands in adoration. I want you to notice two of these sevens involve the lifting of our hands. This one is more in reverence and not just acknowledgement and saying, yeah, that lyric right there, I testify to that. Yeah, that's mine. I'm claiming that one right there. 
but it's creating a funnel. It's almost this picture of parents or grandparents when your kid runs up to you. They're saying, carry me. I'm tired of carrying myself. Would you hold me, Daddy? I'm reaching up to a greater power, a higher vantage point. I need to see things from a different... I'm reaching, I'm creating a funnel. Would you feel me again? I don't have the strength to go on again. I need your presence. I need your power in my life. I can't do this life alone. It's this toda, this adoration of God. You're worthy of all my praise. I love you. I'm latching on to you and I'm letting go of me. That's the heart posture of this word. And a lot of times at the end of the service, you'll notice if you've been around here any amount of time, I try to get you, hey, oh, right there, oh, open your hands. I'll, I'll let you go. Hey, open your hearts to heaven. You know, if you, I don't want you to feel condemned, but I'm trying to lead you. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. He's the shepherd, but, but, but I'm a pastor, and I'm trying to lead you to places where God wants to take you. And when I say open your hands, what I'm trying to get you to do is release control of that thing you're holding on to that you lay at the cross, but then you pick it up and take it with you again. And if you'll allow me to lead you, I want you to lead you to a place where you totally, you just say, God, it can't be my problem and yours at the same time. Your word says in Psalm 55 that I cast my cares on you. You will sustain me. I can't sustain me and you sustain me at the same time. So I'm not, not just going to bring it to the cross today, but I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to trust that you are the God that you said you were and follow you in every way. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Psalm 50. He who offers praise glorifies me and to him that orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Last one, last one. Tehillah. Notice I didn't say tequila. <laughs> Someone's like, praise God. That's my word right there. Praise God. I love this church. No, 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 no. Te but notice that it has the same effect as tequila. Exuberant singing, okay? <laughs> okay, but di different word, different word. So there's a good choice and a not so good choice. Yes. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all the times, and his tehillah be on my lips. Isn't that funny? <laughs> God's funny, man, I'm telling you. Let me show you a few of the words in, this, in the same passage in Psalm, Psalm 108. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. In other words, I've made my decision. I'm not waiting on them. I'm not going to live in the doubt or fear of what they're going to think, say. No, I've fixed my heart that I'm going to do what the Bible says. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people, and I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. I love how it says I will, that it's a choice that I may not feel like it or I may not be in a place where I fully understand it, but I can still come to that place of faith and say, if God said it, I'm just going to respond and I'm going to be a little foolish at times, and I'm just going to present myself with a posture before him, and I'm going to lift my hands in adoration to him because he is worthy of our praise. Amen, church? Amen. Seven words for praise, that we would just raise our tone, that we would sing exuberantly, passionately, and understand that's what worship is. What is worship? It's love expressed. I, I, can't, I can't love and not have an action tied to it. Love is a verb. What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world, he... Love compels you to express your love. You can't keep it in. I'll worship him in my heart. It's just not true. You, Jeremiah said it's like fire in my bones. Just, ah, I got to let it out. Bam, you know. Woo, 
hold the baby. You know, you just got to get to a place where you go, okay, I'm going to do it. Here it goes. All right, wait. I saw the Lord. Bam. And then put it back down, okay? That's your next step. Just get to a place where you just express it to God. That's what worship is. It's love expressed. So it's love. It's finding out what God, I love him enough to find out what he likes, and I'm going to express it. I'm going to give it to him in the same way that I know he wants it. So as we close today, I want to give you just some handles. As we, This is a great life verse. This is a great way to live your life every day. But I think it really seals up this pursuit series that we've been in. And so the Bible in Mark chapter 12 picks up this story where they were talking with Jesus. And it was a bunch of the religious people. They were a lot of times questioning him, trying to, trying to trap him in his own words. And he was so smooth, he could, they could never do it. He would always answer a question with a question. And, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, he was just so good. But in Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So this guy kind of creeps in and he's watching this debate with the other religious leaders. They're kind of doing their thing. And he noticed something about Jesus. He noticed how Jesus handled things. And it's the Bible, the Bible says he noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer. So he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which I would encourage you, anytime you see which is the most important in Scripture, and then Jesus responds with what's the most important, you just need to pause and land right there for a little while. That, that, there's some emphasis there. There's something to glean from. And the teacher of the law said, hey, Jesus, which is the most important? In other words, there wasn't just 10 commandments. There were 440 in the law. So hear the heart of this teacher. He's coming with a struggle. And, and he's saying, of all the commandments, I, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time. I'm not doing well, I don't think. And I, you ever felt like that? Like a, a parent or in your job? Like you're doing so much, you're not sure you're doing anything well. But you're trying, and, and now you're growing frustrated and maybe even condemned, and shame is on you. I would imagine that's how he's feeling here. And Jesus, notice Jesus didn't say, well, hey, bu buckle up, buddy. Yeah. Tighten up. Do the 440. That's the law. Jesus responds and meets him in the very place that he is in that moment. And he says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and then here's the command that he puts all the emphasis on. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love. So in other words, if you don't start with love, the other 439 are going to be really hard. But if you'll stop just trying to obey the Bible out of your own strength, and you will start loving the God of the Bible and fall in love with him, the other 439 commandments God gives will be easier Christianity can be summed up in one word. You want to know what the secret is? Fall in love. Yeah. Just love God. John 14, if you love me, you obey me. I used to look at that like an angry God. If you love me, do it. That's not, I was living on the wrong side of the comma. The verse is this. If you, if you love me, you, obedience will become a delight. If you love me. And that's what God is telling us here when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Let me give you these in a practical way so that we can have some handles as we finish this series. Number one, Jesus said, with all your heart and soul. What does that mean? Well, it's not necessarily songs and it's not necessarily 
just obedience through your own effort, which is very great. You need to obey the Lord. I need to obey the Lord. But if I start there, uh, it, the motivation's not right, and so I'm not going to last very long. And I'm going to start getting into perfection. And God, God wants that, but he wants it as a byproduct, not as the... Ma- so he wants your heart. God wants you. People sometimes will be like, I drink. Do you drink? And I'll be like, but, you know, for me personally, no. What do you think of this? I don't know if God's really concerned about that. He's concerned about you. And at some point, he may talk to you about that. I, but, but God is after your heart. He wants to know you. So what does this mean? It's my expressions of affection to God. Who gets your affections? Let me ask you this way. What do I love the most? You've got to answer that question for yourself. It's all my heart. Is there a love that I love more than God? You've got to answer that question. And then what do we do? We repent and change it and put God back to his rightful place. Is there something that I love more than God? The second one, all your mind. This is where we focus our attention on God. So we give him all of our affection and we focus all of our attention on him. It's our thought life. It's the place where we think. And how many know you can win or lose the battle of faith right between the ears? I can create scenarios that are not even real and believe them like, like they've already happened. Oh my God, it's happening. No, 90% of what we worry about doesn't happen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to have enough trouble on its own. Today is the day of salvation. Give me all your heart and your affection. Give me all your mind and your attention. I want to know what you think about most. That's the heart check. I'm not your Holy Spirit, but it's a great question for you to ask. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do I love most? And allow him to speak to you and nudge you and point you. Oh, this. I'm sorry, Lord. Psalm 139 says, search me. Know me, point out any offensive way within me, and then lead me to the path of everlasting life. That with God, repentance is this place where we allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on some things he wants us to change. Not because he's mad, because it's holding us back from the life he has for us. And notice, he doesn't just point it out and leave you there. He points it out and he says, come on, I'll show you the path of life. Let's leave that. I've got something better for you. So we give God our affections, we give God our attention, and then what did Jesus say? With all your strength, all my strength. What is that? That's my abilities, that I'm just going to use my abilities for the glory of God. Whatever he's decided to do in me, I'm going to give it back to him. Whatever he's gifted me at, I'm going to offer it as a sacrifice to him and let him use it. Think about this in the context of a relationship. For me, I'm married. Chris and I have been married 16 years. She loves my affection. She loves my attention. But sometimes she don't need lover boy. She needs yard boy. Sometimes she needs the trash taken out. And so whether we're in our jobs, our careers, We're putting kids down for their nap, or we're changing diapers, we're taking out the trash, whether it's seemingly important or seemingly insignificant. All our strength is when we do it for the glory of God. We work enthusiastically, whether it's the laundry or it's errands. We just do it with a sense of, God, this is worship. I I do it with all my strength. 
It's really when we invite God into every area of our lives. So many times I grew up in church and I would compartmentalize God in this little area over here. But God wants to be a part of every area of our life. That when we love him with all of our strength, what we're really saying is, God, be involved in the seemingly mundane task of my day. Be involved in every area of my life. I don't want to just love you with my heart and soul and give you attention and affection, but then keep my abilities for my own gain. No, I'm bringing it all. Everything you've done in me, everything you have for me, I give it back to you as a sign of worship. Here's the question I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. What do I do most? What do I do most? Look at our calendars and ask, Holy Spirit, is there something I love more than God in my life right now? The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. Is there something I think about more than God? Is, is, there, is there something that's in my mind, in my mental space, more than just being conscious of God? It, what about my actions and my energies? Is there, is there something I'm reserving for myself and withholding from you? Because pursuit is us putting God first. At the end of the day, pursuit is when we seek first the kingdom of God, knowing everything else will be added in God's own time. And the greatest temptation and the greatest sin we could make is when we give something the worship that God deserves. Have no other gods before me. And I want us to be a church and a group of believers, a company of faith-filled people that come together and they realize that we're not perfect, but we serve the one who is and that we can allow him to work his perfection in our life. And it likely will involve other people. You can't do it alone. But as we pursue him alongside of them, may he receive our highest worship from this day forth. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, we praise you. And this is the posture of our heart right now as a church. God, we're transitioning out of summer and we're looking to the fall harvest. And we know the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. God, that we would hear that word today and understand that you want our worship, you want our attention, our affection, and our abilities. So God, we offer them willingly, joyfully, and with faith in our heart that you're going to do more with them than we ever could without you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. I'd love for you to stay in this attitude of prayer for just another moment. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to give a space right here for anyone who has realized along the way or maybe even today that Something's gotten in the way of your affection to God. Something's gotten in the way of your attention to God. Something's getting more of your ability than God. It's okay. Don't feel condemned. But receive that conviction from the Lord. Conviction's a good thing. It's God saying, hey, I've got a better way if you're open. It's him just in gentleness touching an area of your life and saying, hey, if you'll follow me, I'll lead you. I know what your desires are. And right now you're filling them with the wrong things. But if you'll trust me, I, I'm okay with that desire. Just let me fill it with the good thing. That's what salvation is. It's when we quit looking to the horizontal to feel what only the vertical can. So if that's you today and you need to 
maybe get your heart right with God. You'd say, Pastor Brian, I, I'm a Christian. I'm, I just don't think I'm where I used to be and I need to kind of recommit my life today. Whatever space you're in, would you raise your hand and just say, yeah, count me in that prayer? Would you include me when you pray that prayer of God, I'm just, I want to come back. I want to reorder some things in my life. I want to restore you to the rightful position. And I want to kind of let go of some of those weights that have kind of trapped me and kind of held me back from the plan that you have for me. If that's you, you can just raise your hand and slip it back down very quietly. I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll even try to help you with the words, but it's, it's not a ritual. This is about relationship. That's what God, God wants you. He wants your heart. So would you pray this prayer? Jesus, today I give you my life. The same way you gave me yours. I hold nothing back. I commit to following you. And I ask today that you would forgive me of my sins. I realize there's a barrier between us. And today I'm turning away from those lesser things. And I'm turning to greater things. I'm turning to you. You are the reward. And I love you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Come on, let's give a hand clap to God.